Right, would you stand with me this morning as we open God's Word to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34. Uh, If you utilize a pew Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 554. Pastor Bruce continues in his series, God's Got Questions, and this morning's question, God asks, why do you worry? Again, we will read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is then thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for bringing us together, Lord, and we just ask that your word would penetrate our hearts and change us. God, that the worries of each day, Lord, we would turn them over to you. God, you feed the birds, Lord, you clothe the fields, and Lord, you will take care of us. We just ask that we would turn our concerns and our cares each day over to you, for you are the all-knowing and all-loving God. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Great to be here. I hope you feel that way. I'm excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be here. And since you are here, I hope you're looking forward to uh, hearing Let's talk about a subject that is, let me tell you, relevant to every one of us here today. No one here is beyond the topic we're going to talk about, and that is the question Jesus asked here, Matthew chapter 6, why do you worry? Everybody. This is probably one of the most common struggles among people today, and that is the struggle with worry. And so Jesus comes to us and asks us this question, why do you worry? For most of us, worry is a way of life. How many, don't raise your hand, but you would have to say, oh, I would have to admit that a little bit. Worry is a way of life for me. Surveys have found that worry is an epidemic, especially here in our Western society. And because worry is a way of life for so many of us, worry is also a weight in our lives. It's a burden on our life, making everything heavier and making us weaker. I love what Corey Tim Boone once said. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And how true that is when it comes to worry. So worry is no small problem. But what is worry exactly? I don't want to spend a lot of time defining it. Uh, I think most of us understand it, but this word worry here 
that Jesus uses in the text that we read in the Sermon on the Mount comes from an old English word that means to strangle, it means to choke by the throat, and that's exactly what worry does. It strangles and chokes the life out of you. As John Calvin once said, those who are extremely anxious wear themselves out and become their own executioners. A simple definition of worry is excessive concern and fear over the affairs of life. And the key word is excessive. Worry happens when you are so concerned about the affairs of life that all you can think of is nothing else. It's an all-consuming feeling of uncertainty and even fear. And the result of this is our enthusiasm is stifled. Our energy is drained and our spirit is choked because we are caught in the jaws of worry. And so no wonder Jesus comes to us now as his Christ followers and asks a series of pointed and personal questions in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. In fact, we can summarize Jesus' questions with one question. And here it is, coming up on the screen. And it's a simple question. It's, why do you worry? It's almost as if Jesus is asking it, listen, this is illogical. This doesn't make sense as God's children. Why are you worrying? Why do you worry? In fact, it's interesting. If you, as you read through these verses here, five times... In ten verses, Jesus mentions the word worry. And the whole point he's trying to communicate to us here is don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful about the affairs of life. In fact, Jesus tells us specifically three different times, and you'll find this phrase there, you'll see it in your notes, do not worry. Look at it with me. In verse 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, what? Do not worry about your life. You drop down to verse 31. He says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And then he concludes it again in verse 34. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. So this is a serious question that Jesus asks. Why do you worry? And then I love it. Jesus not only asks the question, he comes along and he actually answers the question for us. In fact, the answer is, according to him, the reason we worry, and perhaps you've never thought of this before, is because we have a belief problem. The root of worry is a lack of faith, he says, in our Heavenly Father. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, in verse 30 here. He says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? And then notice the last phrase. What does He say? O you of little faith. In other words, Jesus says worry is basically, it's a lack of faith, or little faith problem, in our Heavenly Father, the one who cares for us, the one who provides for us, as we will see. As unbelief 
gets the upper hand in our heart and in our minds, one of the results of that is worry. So according to Jesus, worry is really a belief problem within us. And therefore, can I say, it's sinful? We may not think of it in those terms. That worry is actually a sin. But that's one of the reasons why Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount to those who profess to follow him. Why do you worry? Worry actually reflects a a lack of faith in God's love for us. It reflects a lack of faith in God's power and in God's provision. And most of all, it it reflects a lack of faith in God's sovereignty over our lives and in our lives. When we worry, we are living as if there is no God at all. And we are actually believing lies that have no biblical truth. In fact, you'll notice this, and your notes come up on the screen. In Matthew 6 here, Jesus teaches us that there are basically three lies that we fall into the snare of, that we believe, that leads us to worry. Notice the first lie. The earthly things are most important. That's the first lie of worry because it distorts life and its values. Worries basically says this, the here and now is what's most important. But look what Jesus says in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then here's one of his questions. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, people who believe this first lie live their life in terms of earthly pressures and earthly pleasures. So why, though, does Jesus specifically mention food and clothing as things not to worry about? I mean, he could have mentioned several things. Even 2,000 years ago in the Jewish culture, to the people he was... Uh, speaking to here on the hillside, on the Sermon on the Mount, he could have mentioned a multitude of different things not to worry about. So why does he single out food and drink and clothing? After all, some of us are probably thinking about right now, geez, I don't, I don't worry about where my next meal is coming from. I don't worry about what I'm going to wear tomorrow. So what's the big deal? How does this apply to me? No, most of us may not worry about food and clothing, but most of us do worry about money and everything related to it. Most of us worry about the affairs of life. We worry about if we'll have enough money to make the mortgage payment, pay the car loan, pay the credit card bill, and buy food and clothing and still have enough money to give to the Lord. We worry about if we'll get a raise or if we'll even still have a job next year. And we worry about how if we lose our job, how will we make it? In essence, we worry about the affairs of life. This is the stuff we worry about. And so Jesus mentions food and clothing here because in essence, food and clothing represent the basic necessities of life. They represent the earthly affairs of life. They stand for all the things we need to get by in this life, to survive, such as money. Jobs, housing, transportation, and so on. And so by simply mentioning in that culture, 
and it's still true in our culture, food and clothing, Jesus is really saying, listen, you're not to worry about the earthly affairs of this life. And why should we not worry about these things? Because worry says that these things are most important. But are they really? Did you notice what Jesus asked at the end of verse 25? Go back and look at his question. He asked a great question here. I would call it a rhetorical question. It's a question that's meant to prod our thinking and penetrate our hearts. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Jesus is telling us here that there's a, a bigger picture that we need to keep in mind as we live life here on this earth. There's something more important than what we see with our eyes. There's something more important than these earthly things we touch with our hands, and that's eternal things. We could paraphrase Jesus' question with any number of applications. Every one of us could come up here and do that. We could list off several things. Is not life more than... And you can fill in the blank with a multitude of things that consumes your heart and your mind. Is not life more than? I would challenge all of us here to say those words whenever we're facing a situation where the affairs of our life seem to be closing in on us. Because the very first lie that leads to worry is that the earthly things are most important. That is the here and now. But that is not true. What is most important, as we're going to see, is the pursuit of God's righteousness and His kingdom. There's a bigger picture here. Life is more than this earth. Yes, we are still living on this earth, and God will address that here in a minute. He says He will take care of us. He will provide for us. We can trust Him. Lie number two is, God will not do that, though. God will not take care of me. The second big lie that leads to worry is the assertion here that God just doesn't care about me, therefore He won't take care of me. He may take care of other people, but He won't take care of me. But Jesus tells us to look at the evidence that our God cares. When He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, and then later in verse 28, He says, consider the lilies of the field. When we believe the lie that God won't take care of me, we not only see ourselves as somewhat unworthy of God's care, but we are also viewing God as careless and indifferent to our needs as His children. And folks, that is a lie. So with tender images of birds and flowers... Jesus begins to paint a picture for us of God's fatherly care and provision for our lives in order to dismantle this lie that we get caught up into. First, Jesus says, birds don't worry about food, and yet they are fed. Look what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, there are millions and millions and millions of birds on this earth, is there not? 
And by and large, they are healthy and happy. None of them are suffering from stress. Why? Because God basically takes care of them, even though they don't sow and they don't reap. Oh, you may see them pluck a worm here and there. They build their nest. It's not that they don't work. But God is the one who feeds them and clothes them and takes care of them. And then Jesus asked this rhetorical question to us. Aren't you worth more than the birds to God? Basically what Jesus is doing, he's using lower creation here, like the birds of the air, in comparison to us as his grand creation. The point here is twofold. You and I, we are more valuable than birds. And let me tell you, God is more than able to provide. And if God is able to provide for meager and relatively meaningless creatures like birds, then surely God is able and willing to care for you. But Jesus gives a second illustration uh, uh, as a piece of evidence that God cares. He says the lilies don't worry about clothes, and yet they are covered. Look at it, what he says in verses 28 and 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Just consider what Jesus is saying. The lilies don't even work for what they have. God just gives it to them. And do you think the flowers worry? How many have flowers How many have just planted your flowers? All right, so several of you. My wife just did last week, planted flowers in our flower pots in the front, on our porch in front of the house. And let me tell you, every day when I go and look at them, they're not worrying. (laughs) Don't look like they're worrying to me. Looks like they're soaking up the sunshine and rain. No way. You never see a flower worry. Here's the point. Flowers don't last very long. You buy some flowers like we do in the spring here, and by the middle of the summer, they started to wilt and fade away. Little helpless flowers that pass away so quickly, and yet God takes care of them. But we are not flowers, are we? We are living souls who are going to live forever, and that makes you indefinitely more valuable than the lilies of the field. And if that's true, and it is, then you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. Let me tell you, God will pick out your wardrobe for you. And he will make sure that you have what you need. Now, let me just stop here for a moment (coughs) and clarify the danger of worry. Because there may be some of us even now thinking, it still isn't that big a deal. The danger of worry is that it distracts us from the very evidence that God cares for us, as his creation made in his image. God values us, and he will take care of us. Does that mean we don't have a responsibility to work, to do what we need to, plan, do all these things? That are not? No, that's not what he's saying. God is, Jesus is simply making a point here that God values us far above the birds, far above the flowers, And he will provide, he will take care of us. But worry wants us to deny this very truth. 
and be eaten up with concern over our daily and long-term needs. So let me encourage you here. Don't believe the lie that God won't take care of you. Consider the evidence that our God cares. But there's a third lie. And this lie says this, it's all up to me. This may be the biggest lie of all, that it's all up to me. A worry mindset is rooted, oh, can I just come out and say it? A worry mindset is rooted in stubborn self-sufficiency. We think we need to have all the answers. We think we have to think up all the ideas and do all the work if anything is to get accomplished. But here's the problem with that line of thinking. What happens if we don't have all the answers? What happens if we can't think of an idea or, can't ha- or don't have enough time to get all the work done? We're in big trouble, aren't we? The basis of so much of our worry, when you strip it all down, is pride. It's a pride issue. Because we think it's all up to me to survive in this world. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to depend on others. And so we think it's all up to me. Now, this is not something most people will admit. In fact, few people see these factors at the heart of worry. But Jesus bluntly confronts our misguided self-sufficiency when he comes out in verse 27 and asks us another question. (coughs) He says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Kind of a funny question, because the answer is so obvious. In ancient times, a cubit was a measurement equal to the length from the elbow to your middle finger. Basically a distance of about 18 inches for most people. So it's kind of like saying, hey, who by worrying can add an inch to his height or an hour to his life? And the obvious answer is, no one. That's the funny thing about worry. Worry is the unseen source of our headaches, backaches, and belly aches. Worry makes our temper short and our days long. Worry causes indigestion, irritation, chest pain, and muscle strain. But the one thing worry can't give you is a longer life. A man can worry himself to death, but he can't worry himself into a longer life. So let me ask you here this morning. In what ways have you been snared by this lie that it's all up to you? Or perhaps you've been snared by one of the first two lies. Earthly things are most important, the here and now. Or you've fallen prey to the second lie, God won't take care of me. So how do we break free from these lies? Remember what we said in the very beginning, worry is a what kind of problem? A belief problem. It's a lack of faith issue. So the key to breaking free from these lies is to renew our minds, renew our hearts with the truth about our God and the promises that He gives us. So what I want to do here is to give you four truths. And I want to state these truths or these promises as an action step, which means we have a part to play in this, in breaking free from worry. Number one is to cultivate an assurance or an awareness of God's love. God loves you. 
Is that hard for you to accept? Nothing else can put worries to rest more quickly than cultivating an awareness or an assurance of God's love for you. Jesus states this truth very clearly just by a simple reference in verse 26 when he says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither toil, sow, nor reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your what feeds them? What does he say? Who feeds them? Your heavenly Father. Up to that point in time, a Jew would never have called God Father. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, earlier in the chapter, our Father in heaven, let me tell you, it was like, whoa, blow me away. It stunned them. It shocked them. This is new. Now, we, we don't fully appreciate the impact of this in our day because we're so casual and formal. But for the Jewish person, let me tell you, God, he was God Almighty. And you couldn't even pronounce his name. And yet now Jesus is coming to us here, and he is literally inviting us to draw close to God, building our relationship with God, not only on the awe and respect that are due the Creator of the universe, but now also on the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. This is why we can say with David in Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid or when I'm anxious, I will trust in you, Heavenly Father. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxieties or your cares on Him. Why? Because He, that is our Heavenly Father, cares for you. He loves you. So cultivate an assurance, an awareness of God's love for you. Number two, <coughs> excuse me, cultivate an appreciation of God's provision. Since God is our Heavenly Father, He wants us, as His children, to trust in Him. Jesus even tells us in verse 32, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, what are the all these things? The Gentiles. Gentiles is just a f- word to describe unbelievers in that time. So what are all these things the Gentiles or unbelievers seek after and worry about? Again, it's the affairs of life. It's the food, it's the clothing, shelter, money, a job, and, and all the things that kind of consume us in life. And Jesus says, God already knows that you need all these things. When you say, Lord, I got laid off, let me tell you, that isn't news to him. When you say, Lord, I'm not sure we have enough money to make it this month. Listen, he checked your bank account before you did, and he knows you're broke. Listen, God, God is not sitting on the sidelines twiddling his thumbs. God is not asleep at the wheel of your life. And so the gap that you feel between what you want... And what you have does not mean that God has abandoned you or that he doesn't care about you or that he's playing games with your life. God knows what you need most and he knows what you need better than we do. And he will act to supply what you need when the time is best. So here's the question for for me as well as for you. Will you trust God as your heavenly father? It's really that simple. 
Will we trust God as our Heavenly Father to provide what we need? Remember, if God cares enough to take care of the birds and the flowers, then surely He cares enough to take care of you and your family. God may not give you everything you want, but He knows what you need, and He is more than able to provide for what you need. So how then can we begin to cultivate a confidence in our Heavenly Father's provision? Well, let me just mention a couple of verses to you here. Paul tells us how over in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Look at it in your notes what it says. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. You know what he's saying there? Same thing Jesus is saying. Don't worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, oh, the antithesis of worry, the antithesis of anxiety, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then later on, down in the chapter, Paul gives this promise, one of the famous verses, in verse 19, where he says, And my God, who is my heavenly Father, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Woo, right? So cultivate an appreciation of God's provision. Number three, how to break free from worry? Cultivate a single focus on God's kingdom. Cultivate a single focus on God's kingdom. Many of us create our own worries because we are too eagerly pursuing our own agendas. But Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. And all these things shall be added to you. This is a great challenge that comes with a great promise. So what does it mean? Well, I don't have time to go into the whole discussion of this, but let me just simplify as best I can. It simply means to seek God's kingdom priorities and His righteousness, even in the hard times of this earthly kingdom, and everything else you need to do the will of God on this earth will be added to your life. If I may, let me quote John Piper, author, of the book Future Grace, and he says these words. It means that if you will give yourself to his cause in the world, rather than fretting about your private material needs, God will make sure that you have all you need to do his will and to give him glory. That's the idea here of seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. In other words, God is saying to us, if I can paraphrase it, you take care of my business, and I'll take care of yours. I like that. But here's the struggle with so many of us. In hard times, but I've also learned it's the struggle even in good times. We put our worries first, and God second. And when we put our worries first, let me tell you, it reveals some things about us. It reveals what we really think about God, what we really believe in our hearts. Worry reveals that you have a defective understanding of God as our Heavenly Father. 
Worry reveals that you do not fully trust God's promise that He will take care of you. Worry reveals that you are mastered by your circumstances in the affairs of this life. So if I may encourage you, when you sense you're being consumed by worry, when it's strangling the life out of you, that's when we need to stop and we need to simply check our focus. Are we putting God first and our worries second? And, and by the way, this is not something you just do once and forget about it. Oh, man, yeah, five years ago I put God first in my life. Done with that. No. This phrase, seek first, it's an interesting phrase. And in the Greek, it is in the imperative or the present imperative. And that simply means that we are to be in a continual pursuit of God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, as Christ followers, we never stop pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. It should characterize our lives all the way through life. So this isn't something we do once and forget about it and think it covers us for the rest of our lives. Why? Because God knows that when we focus on seeking His eternal kingdom, we won't focus on worrying about the things in this earthly kingdom. Number four, breaking free from worry, cultivate a dependence on God's grace. Cultivated dependence on God's grace. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. I love how he summarizes all this. Therefore. It's kind of like his climax, his conclusion. It's the third therefore. Therefore. Do not worry about what? What's it say? Do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Why? For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, at first glance, what Jesus says doesn't seem too comforting, does it? Right? How many have thought that? You've read this verse and you're like, I don't get it. I, I don't like what Jesus is saying. This is kind of weird. I mean, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Kind of sounds like someone is saying, don't worry about tomorrow because it's going to be a really, really, really bad day. So don't let your mind go there. That isn't too comforting. However, Jesus is saying something very important here for us. Namely, that there's enough grace for the troubles we face today. In other words, the idea here is you cannot pull tomorrow's grace in for today's troubles. And by the same token, you don't have grace for tomorrow's troubles yet. Whoa. So what are the implications of this? Well, the implications are twofold. One, it's really foolish to worry about tomorrow's troubles. Why? Because you don't have grace for tomorrow's troubles yet. And the second implication is, and it's the good news, you do have enough grace for today's troubles that we're facing. So cultivate a dependence on God's grace as you live, listen, not one week at a time, not one month at a time, not a year in advance, but one day at a time. God gives us enough grace to live each day. 
And we don't get tomorrow's grace until tomorrow. We don't get the next day's grace to live that day until we come to that day. Live each day dependent on God's grace. God's grace is simply the power to do God's will for God's glory. By the way, do you realize you have that grace of the Holy Spirit? You have the power to live how God wants us to live. You have God's grace. Depend on it. Now, as 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace, because some of you are thinking, oh, I don't know if I have enough grace for today. I don't know, my troubles are really racking up here, Bruce. But Paul tells us, he reminds us, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, as we conclude, let's return to Jesus' question one more time. And his question is rather basic, it's rather simple, and that is, why do you worry? By the way, Jesus is still asking that question today. Why do you worry? Here's the final answer, I believe, to the question of worry. Notice it on your notes and on the screen. As God's children... We should worry less and worship more. The reason Jesus tells us three times, listen to me, do not worry, is because worry is the opposite of worship. In fact, mark it down. If you're worrying, you're not worshiping. And by the same token, if you're worshiping, you're not worrying. This is why worry is a belief problem. Worry is a reflection of our lack of faith in God. But worship, on the other hand, is a reflection that we are born of God. Worship is a reflection that we know God, that we trust God, that we believe in God, and that we are worshiping God. And that we are submitted to God. This is why as God's children, we should be characterized by worship and not worry. Now, if I may, just share a personal illustration of kind of how this plays out in life with me. And when I share this, because I debated whether to share it, in no way am I trying to build myself up. I'm not. Because let me tell you, I'm on the journey just as every one of us are on the journey. And I stumble and fall on this area of worry just like most of us here do. So I haven't mastered the concept of do not worry. As a pastor, you tend to worry about plenty of things, and you're convicted now when you preach a message like this. Well, let me share one example. As most of you know, back in February, I had some internal bleeding, so I had to go to the doctor, my wife said. Get it checked out. I'm thankful for my wife that she made me. I go to the doctor and he says, I want to order some tests for you. I want you to go get a colonoscopy and I want you to get an EGD test, basically where they come down your throat, scope your stomach. I want to find out why, why are you bleeding. He thought maybe I had a bleeding ulcer. So anyways, during that test, they didn't find anything. I'm cleaning this whistle up and down except for one thing. I wake up from the anesthesia doctor comes in and says, do you know you have a tumor in your stomach? 
the size of a racquetball? Well, I'm groggy. I'm like, what? Darla, what did he just say? A tumor. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't think too much about it. But before we left, I, I, I'm becoming more coherent. I told Darla, I said, or the nurse, I said, now what did he call that tumor? I want to know the name of it. So the nurse ran back to his, where he was at. He was getting ready to leave, go back down to the plaza hospital, St. Luke's. And he called it, a, he came back and the nurse said, he thinks it's a gist, a gastrointestinal stromal tumor. A gist, what in the world is a gist? Darla, I've never heard of a gist. I don't know anything about a gist. A size of a racquetball inside of my stomach? So I get home, first thing I do, I go to the internet. Go to my computer and I Google gist. And what came up? Scared the bejeebies out of me. I started reading everything I could on GIST. The first word that comes up about GIST is cancer. You buy, you know, and I don't know anything yet. Anytime you see cancer, what do most people think? The worst, right? I tell Darla. She's got me dead and she's widowed within the next year. <laughs> and so we began to read up a little bonnet about it. The doctors wanted to order some more tests. I had to go through a CAT scan. I had to do an EUS procedure. And anyways, all these tests, are just, all they're telling us is that your tumor is, con, is consistent with GIST. I'm like, tell me something I don't know. And they said, the bottom line is you've got to have surgery to remove it. And GIST is, is a rare form of cancer. Through this process, about a two-month process by the time I'm diagnosed to the time I have my surgery to remove it, I'm thinking in my mind, Lord, I don't know what you have for me in my life. Because you have to remember this time, they haven't really confirmed a lot. They don't know whether this is spread or anything. It's not till they remove the tumor that they can really do the biopsy report and tell me that my prognosis is very good going forward, which I now know. But then, you think the worst. And I'm having to remind myself, Lord, all I know is, is my life is in your hand. And while I don't want the worst for my family and myself, you know what's best. And through this, I just want to trust you more. I know my faith is weak. I even, I, I'm not a journaler. I, I despise journaling. But during this course, I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm just going to jot down thoughts through this three-month ordeal. So I actually did. I, I journaled on, on my computer just thoughts and what I was finding out and different things about it. And some of the things I wrote was, was just trust God. You're, and a lot of things I repeated was your life is in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. And to be honest with you, not to build myself up, and I wish I could say it was because of great faith, but it's not. I really didn't worry about it very much. I was really at peace about this. My wife, yeah, there. You can ask her. She's not embarrassed to say that. And through it all, I was just like, Lord, and I didn't necessarily use these words, but I'll use them now due to this message. I just want to worry less about this affair in my life and worship you more through it and because of it. And whatever happens, just use me in the process. Do you see how this kind of plays out? I want to be characterized as your follower. God, you are my heavenly father. And may my life be characterized not by worry, because that's 
Jesus says, is what characterizes the Gentiles. Those who do not know God as their heavenly father. They worry about these things in life. We are to live differently. We profess to be Christ followers. We claim to have a father in heaven. We are born of God. We're born again by the spirit. That ought to make a difference in me. Right? And so all along that was my prayer. Help me to be characterized by worry. I mean by worship and not worry. I hope that would be your prayer. Because I bet in an audience of this size, there's probably something that's on your mind and on your heart. And the temptation that Satan has for us is to believe one of these three lies. And we need to cultivate our minds and renew our minds and counter those lies with these four truths. And really, our prayer this morning, as individuals and as a church, ought to be, Lord, help me to worry less and worship more. Will you make that your prayer here this morning as we come to our response time? Lord, help me to worry less and to worship you more through whatever it is you're taking me through in my life at this time. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and as they come, and we prepare for our response time, they're going to sing just a verse of, of a chorus. And there's even a few questions there at the bottom of your notes to kind of help you to make this message perfect.